Thank you for joining us today, whether you're watching on the YouTube link, you're watching live on Sunday morning at 1030, whatever. Uh, thank you for worshiping with us. We have been in a sermon series where we, we've been we've been studying the Gospels uh, chronologically. And uh, the sermon series is called In His Steps, uh, where we are looking at the context of where Jesus was, what he was doing, who he was with, so that we can understand what was going on as he says and does the things that he said and did. You can comment uh, questions um, during the message. You can, you can do uh, you know, the, the uh, praying hands emoji or the whoop whoop emoji um, if it encouraged you. Um, you can type amen if you want, just like you uh, would be if you were here with us. Um, Later this week, if anybody had any questions, you can submit them on here. You can submit them on the YouTube link. You can email them and we'll try to respond to those questions uh, if at all possible. So make sure you say hello in the comments and, and let us know you're worshiping with us. If you've got prayer requests during the live broadcast, you can click a button at the bottom right hand corner of the screen and it will open up a chat window with one of our ministers so that you can pray. Um, but, but share this message. You never know who it will be an encouragement Two, um, <clears throat> if you have your Bibles or if you use the Bible app, you can turn to Luke chapter 15, and that's the passage of Scripture we're going to be covering today. The title of my message today is When God Ran. When Samuel and Gideon were first born, their cousin Ashton gave them two stuffed Disney characters. And Samuel got Mickey Mouse and Gideon got Goofy. They loved these stuffed animals a lot. But Samuel loved Mickey a lot. He grew so attached to this Mickey Mouse that he would not leave the room without him. For Samuel's entire life, he held on to that Mickey, whether he was awake or asleep. And last summer, we attended the National Convention for the Assemblies of God in Orlando, Florida. And we left a day early so that we could spend a day at the Magic Kingdom. We got a fast pass for meeting Mickey and Minnie Mouse because we wanted to let Samuel and Gideon meet them in real life. And so the experience did not disappoint. When it was finally their turn, they ran to Mickey and Minnie and they hugged them repeatedly as Angela and I just cried because we were witnessing sheer joy on the faces of these are uh, two little babies and the characters Mickey and Minnie spent so much time with them uh, as much time as the babies wanted and the, the babies would look at them and smile and laugh and hug them and talk to them take pictures with them and it was the cutest thing I have ever seen and it definitely left an impression on me but then Mickey did something unexpected he asked for a pen and he autographed one of the ears of Samuel's stuffed Mickey Mouse, and Samuel was in awe. The joy on his face made him smile from ear to ear. Now this Mickey has truly become irreplaceable. And with Samuel having Mickey and loving this thing so much, you would think that we as his parents would ensure that we never left the house without Mickey. And if you assume that, You'd be wrong, because in the hustle and bustle of getting our big family out the door to go somewhere, sometimes Mickey got left behind. 
Samuel managed to put him down or temporarily forget about him. And at some point on an hour-long drive to see friends or family, Samuel would realize he didn't have Mickey. He wouldn't just cry, he would weep. Because in his mind, he thought he had lost Mickey, his most precious possession. We knew that Mickey was home safe and sound, and we were also willing to take our chances that we could distract him from thinking about Mickey with getting ice cream, or here's a toy like a lightsaber lights up and makes all this noise, or, or something else that would capture his attention because he was two or 18 months, two years old, whatever at the time. His attention span isn't uh, that, that focused, so we figured we could distract him. But he would cry the entire trip, which made the trip last what felt like 10 times longer because he thought he had lost something that was incredibly precious to him, irreplaceable. Losing something important creates immediate stress. Losing your W-2s when it's time to do your taxes. Losing a child in a department store. Losing your credit card when you are next in line to buy groceries or maybe promising to cook your family uh, grandma's special recipe only to not be able to find it when it's time to preheat the oven. It creates not only stress, but it creates panic. Losing things that is precious to us is something that's common to all of us. And Jesus gave three stories in Luke chapter 15 to help us understand it from God's perspective. It all started with a confrontation. Jesus had traveled all over Israel and some, uh, in, in some of its nearby areas, preaching the gospel, performing miracles, impacting people in a powerful way. He's nearing his final journey, his final trip to Jerusalem. And hurting and broken people found hope and healing in his message and in his presence. And some of this hurting, some of these hurting and broken people in Jesus' day were people who were on the lowest rungs of Jewish society. They were notorious sinners, prostitutes, thieves, and according to the religious leaders, the most godless people on earth. Jesus continued to have dinner and spend time with them and share the love of God with these people. The, this infuriated the religious leaders as they didn't think that these people were worthy of God's love. When Jesus ate dinner with them, it suggested fellowship and approval of their lifestyle. And much like some Christians do today, they thought that you must clean yourself up and demonstrate your worthiness to God in order to draw near to Him. Jesus refuted these ideas repeatedly by sharing three parables at, directed at the religious leaders in Luke chapter 15. First, Jesus told the story of the lost sheep. Jesus said in Luke 15, 4 through 7, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus used an analogy that people could relate to. He put the listener in the story as the main character. They were presented with the issue that the shepherd faced, what they would do. And every sheep was precious because it represented income to them. If a shepherd was watching the sheep of a landowner, he had to give an account of every single one of them. If he noticed that one was missing, that meant that he had regularly been counting them. A shepherd might think, well, I still have 99. What's the use in leaving them and going after one missing sheep? But a good shepherd knows that every single one of them is important. Jesus has already identified himself as the good shepherd in John chapter 10. So he told these religious men, in case they didn't know, what a good shepherd would do. The shepherd was willing to leave his 99 sheep in open country to pursue that one sheep that wandered away. And it's not like the 99 were unimportant to him. It's that the one missing one was just as valuable to him as the 99 who were safe. The 99 were safe and the lost sheep was in danger. At nightfall, shepherds would bring all their sheep together. They would uh, combine the sheepfolds into one larger group of sheep. And the shepherds would take watches and they would take turns watching the sheep and while the other shepherds could sleep. The next day, they would separate the flocks to go to the different feeding areas nearby. They would separate them because each shepherd would have a song, a chant, or a call in order to identify himself to his sheep. And the sheep would recognize the voice of the shepherd and only follow him. Which is a reference, a reminder back to John 10, 27, we covered a couple weeks ago, when Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Well, the lost sheep wandered away during the night because of its own foolishness. But the reason it wandered wasn't important to Jesus telling the story. What was important was when the shepherd found it, he didn't, the shepherd didn't drag the sheep back by the scruff of its wool. He didn't beat the sheep. He didn't shame the sheep in front of the other sheep. Look at what this guy did. You know, shame on you. He put the sheep on his shoulders and he carried it back. This indicates to us that the sheep may have been wounded, may have been too weak to walk on its own. We have times of temptation. We have times of foolishness and weakness in our own lives. We see in this story a God who loves us still, who rescues us despite the mess that we make, and who joyfully restores us to our place in His presence. Sinners find in Jesus the hope, help, and healing they need if they're willing to accept Him. Jesus is truly the good and loving shepherd. 
But Jesus wasn't done dropping truth on them. The first story was aimed at the men. The second story is aimed at the women who were listening. So next, Jesus told the story of the lost coin. Jesus said in Luke 15, verses 8 through 10, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now one commentator said that when a Jewish girl got married, she was given a headband with ten silver coins to signify that she was now a wife. It was their version of a wedding band. And it would create immediate stress for one of these coins to go missing. It's like if you lost your wedding band and you noticed it just as you were getting ready for, to go on a date with your spouse that evening. Trust me, your spouse will usually notice if you're not wearing your wedding band and will usually want to know why. These silver coins were also uh, equal to a day's wages. They were very valuable. And nobody wants to get paid for working a whole day and, and then losing the money for it. And so it represented a, a good chunk of income. When you lose something, you can get into a bit of a panic. Like if Samuel was missing his Mickey, he would run into the room and just start throwing things around and, and looking all panicked because he can't find his Mickey. But this woman showed wisdom in that she carefully and diligently searched until she found it. She was not going to be satisfied until she found the precious coin that was lost. That's the way God looks at sinners. They're not throwaways. They aren't worthless to him. They're precious. He wants them to repent. Jesus said in Luke 5, 23, I have not, called, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he spent a lot of time with them. And Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but for everyone to repent of their sinful ways. These sinners that were disparaged and insulted by the religious elite were precious in Jesus' eyes. They were lost sheep that he was willing to go to the ends of the earth to find. They're lost coins that he would diligently and carefully search for until he had found them. That's how God views and loves the unsaved. But what about those who have been in fellowship with him that have strayed? What about those who know better and walked away? That's what brings us to the third story in Luke chapter 15, and perhaps one of Jesus' most famous parables. He talked to the men, he's talked to the women, and then he presented an example that anybody in a family could relate to. So finally, Jesus told the story of the lost son. He said in Luke 15, 11 through 16, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And as we learned from last week's message, the youngest son would receive, or the eldest son would receive a double portion, and the youngest son would only receive a single portion. So the eldest would get two-thirds, 
there were two boys. The eldest son would get two thirds of the inheritance and the youngest son would only get one third. So the father divided the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Jesus is such a master storyteller. His stories are meant to evoke emotion and this one certainly does. He prepared the audience for this story when he told of the greedy son, the sermon we covered last week about the son who said, Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so Jesus shared that back in Luke chapter 12. He's prepared the audience for this situation, this issue of inheritance and the parable of the rich fool who wanted to build bigger barns but was going to face God that evening. Well, the religious leaders are well versed in scripture, and so they may have heard this parable and they may have immediately thought of Jacob and Esau, the, where, where Isaac, the father, blesses the sons before his death, and how the elder son, as we'll read at the end of this story, the elder son despises the younger son. <clears throat> Other listeners may have been struck by the apparent dishonor this boy displayed to his father by asking for his inheritance way early. The young man is uh, unmarried, and so he leaves all alone, most likely in his late teen, early 20 years, he leaves the family to go live his life the way he wants to. Well, hearing this story for the first time, this people probably assumed that the son was foolish to demand the inheritance, and this story demonstrated his foolishness by his reckless living. The son said, give me what I'm owed. Give me what is mine. And then he wasted his money on shamelessly immoral and wildly extravagant living with no way to replenish what he was spending. Most of the poor people listened to Jesus's story. They wouldn't have felt sorry for this young man. But then a famine came along. And a famine along with the inheritance issues discussed in Luke 12, those are topics that these people were well-versed in. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all endured famines. Joseph's rise to be the second in command in Egypt was due to a famine. So the people who were probably despising this foolish son can now relate If they haven't personally been through a famine, their Bible stories reminded them about the struggle all the time. And then Jesus revealed the true level of this son's desperation. He was so poor and he was so hungry that he took a job feeding pigs. Kosher laws in the Torah prohibited not just eating pigs, but also farming them. They were considered filthy and disgusting to Jewish people. His situation was so desperate that he longed to eat the food that the pigs were eating. There's two things to note here, what they were eating and why they were eating it. The first thing, what they were eating, they were eating pods, specifically pods from the carob tree. These pods are edible, 
When they're ripe, they're, they become very dark brown and they're packed with vitamins and minerals and they're actually pretty sweet. Some people grind up these pods and use them as a substitute for chocolate. Probably doesn't taste exactly like chocolate, but close enough for people maybe trying to watch their weight. But these pods were also used as cheap food for lower class people and also used to fatten up swine. If the younger son knew why the pig farmer was giving the pigs carob pods to fatten them up for the slaughter, then he probably knew that his job and the pigs' food might be coming to an abrupt end. His desperation was real and immediate. All the friends he had made, all the people he had bought drinks for, all the women that he had enjoyed, they all deserted him. He was starving and no one helped him or gave him anything. Jesus continued the story, Luke 15, 17 through 19. <clears throat> but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired hands. His desperation caused him to take a long look at his situation. He realized that he had, he had it made when he was living in his father's house as a son. And he had messed all of that up. He realized that his father's servants lived so great, so much better than his current situation. So his response was the appropriate one repentance, and humility. He worked out a whole speech to give to his dad. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I've missed the mark. I knew what to do and I didn't do it. I not only didn't do what was right, but I willfully did what was wrong, perverse, depraved, and wicked. I don't deserve to return to your place as a son. I don't, return, I don't deserve to return to the place as a son. I don't deserve anything. But in your great mercy, would you accept me as a servant? And I'll gladly work for you. Luke 15, 20. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. While the son was a long way off, what that means to me is that this loving father was regularly and diligently looking for his son. His father saw him coming from a long way away. He knew his son's walk. He knew the way his son carried himself. And even from a great distance, the father knew that it was his long lost son. When he saw him, he was overwhelmed with compassion and love towards his son. This compassion was put into action as the old man took off running. It was considered undignified for an older person to run, especially a wealthy landowner such as this man. He, he would have normally just sent his servant uh, if he needed something done quickly. But when it came to his son, he rushed upon him. He fell upon him. He embraced this son. And it says the father kissed the son. And when it says that, it is an affectionate, repetitive kiss. 
the son that he had lost had finally come home. Where he had been and what he had been doing was irrelevant. The only thing that mattered was that his son that he loved was home again. The father's love was so overwhelming that the son didn't even, give, didn't even have a chance to give his full speech that he had prepared in the pig pen. He started it, but the father's love interrupted it. He never let his son degrade his position as a son. Luke 15, 22 through 24 says, But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and fill it and, and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. I would imagine there was not a dry eye in the place as Jesus told this story. It impacts us deeply, especially those of us who have children. We love them so much and there's nothing we wouldn't do for them. And the father's perspective was one of overwhelming love. Restore my son back to his rightful place. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. My son was lost and is found. The words, my son, were not what the young man expected to hear. They certainly weren't the words he deserved to hear. But isn't it amazing that God gives us not what we deserve, but what we don't deserve? He gives us grace when we deserve punishment. He gives us mercy when we deserve justice. He gives us forgiveness when we deserve condemnation. The son, went, the son went from having nothing to offer to having the father's robe on his back, shoes on his feet, and ring on his finger, demonstrating that he had been reconciled as a full member of the family. The son went from sitting with the fattened pigs alone to eating the fattened calf at his father's table. Still knowing his audience and that some who were listening to Jesus' story were unmoved and were self-righteous, to those, Jesus told the last part of the story, demonstrating their heart. This section is specifically aimed at the Pharisees, the religious elite, the self-righteous leaders, religious leaders. These were men who knew the Torah. They knew the Old Testament commands of what to do and what not to do, and they obeyed it and they relished their place as teachers of God's law. They behaved like only the worthy could partake and enjoy God's presence. Only those who had paid their dues, only those who had spent a lifetime of learning memorizing and obeying the Father's commands could enjoy the Father's presence. Jesus exposed that they didn't know anything about a relationship with the Father. All they had was a relationship with their own self-righteousness. Jesus demonstrated that in the end of the story. Luke 15, 25-32, it says, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. 
But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And when this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him? The father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The eldest son didn't even consider his younger brother to be his brother anymore. He referred to him as this son of yours. But the father reminded him that he was indeed this your brother. The elder brother had spent his life working for the father and now he had this sense of entitlement because of all his good works. He served his father not out of love, but out of a desire for reward. And this story demonstrates that our positions as sons and heirs is not based on our good works, but on His grace. All the self-righteous had to do was pause long enough to remember who they were working for and pursue a relationship with the Father that they needed. Instead, they fell in love with laws instead of falling in love with the lawgiver. This last part of the story offers a sharp contrast to the loving compassion of the father versus the self-righteous resentment of the elder brother. May we never look at people this way, regardless of how sinful they are. May we always remember that we were in the grip of sin. We were stuck in the muck and the mire. We were desperate for hope searching for something to hold on to, to lift ourselves out of that pit. And just when we had given up, coming to the end of ourselves, He reached down His hand to us, doing what we could not, lifting us up out of that pit of sin and restoring the joy of salvation to us. May we always want to lift... To, uh, may we always want others to share in that joy, regardless of whatever sin they are stuck in. May we join with the Father to search for lost sinners, helping them be reconciled to the Father the way He searched for us. <clears throat> Just when you think you have no place at the Father's table, you see His open arms extended towards you, just when you think you've gone too far, sinned too greatly, messed up beyond repair, you see the love and compassion of a God that went to incredibly great lengths to bring you back. Who is the lost sheep? Who is the lost coin? Who is the lost son? Those in desperate need of God's grace and mercy. What are we to do with a love like that? How do we even wrap our brain around something like this? A love with no strings, a love with no limits, a love with no prerequisites. When we realize that we're loved not for what we produce, not for what we reproduce, or what we bring to God as some sort of demonstration of our worthiness, we discover what true love really is. 
a love demonstrated through action where God searches for us. He runs to, uh, to us. He restores us. Not because we deserve, not because we deserve it, but specifically because we don't deserve it. Many years ago, I came across a song that beautifully, beautifully illustrated the parable of the lost son. And I wanted to share that with you today. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to read some of the lyrics and I encourage you after this is over, we're going to try to maybe link uh, a, a YouTube video link in our comments or somewhere so that you can check out this video. This song, the version I heard was by Phillips, Craig and Dean. And that's where we got our title today, When God Ran. And it gives us a picture of God through this story of the lost son. Uh, the song, the lyrics say, Almighty God, the great I am, immovable rock, omnipotent, powerful, awesome Lord, victorious warrior, commanding king of kings, mighty conqueror, and the only time, the only time I ever saw him run was when he ran to me. He took me in his arms held my head to his chest, and he said, my sons come home again. He lifted my face, wiped the tears from my eyes. With forgiveness in his voice, he said, son, do you know I still love you? He caught me by surprise when God ran. I encourage you to find that song and listen to it this week. It's a beautiful picture of this story, the story of the lost son and what God did to bring us back. Even when we know what we're doing is wrong, he still desires to restore us as sons and daughters of the king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, even when we are unfaithful to you, you are still faithful to your word. Your desire is still to reconcile us, to bring us back. No matter how far we've gone, no matter what we've done, no matter the, the depths of depravity and the depths of sin and the things we've allowed in our life and the times we absolutely know what we're doing is wrong and we do it anyway, you still love us. You still forgive us. Your arms are still outstretched to welcome us home. Father, our desire is not to take advantage of that. Our desire is to see it, appreciate it. And our desire is to allow other people encounter that love as well. That, that we are helping you, we're working with you to reconcile sinners to God so that they can be free from the sin. They can be free from all of the, the unrighteousness, all the things that they've filled their lives with that are empty, that will never satisfy. Father, we pray that you would help us, that we will be so overwhelmed with love for you and love for our neighbors, that we would be searching for people like the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, and that your desire is to reconcile them to yourself. Father, let us be on the lookout as, as we may be getting out of our houses a little bit more or, or connecting with people. Father, let our communication be positive and life-giving and affirming and encouraging. And Lord, put people on our radar that need that encouragement, that need that word from the Lord. Lord, as we fellowship with you, pray and get in your word, Lord, that you may give us a word for somebody and that we can share that with them and encourage them. Your desire, Lord, is to reconcile people to you 
and we thank you that we get to be a part of that. So thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that you looked at every one of us with eyes full of love, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not while we were worthy, not while we were deserving, while we were sinners, while we were God-haters, while we were uh, absolutely opposed to the things of God, Christ died for us. So we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this picture that we can see ourselves and we can see others as lost sheep, lost coins, the lost son that you desire to restore. So thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for these stories that Jesus shared and the truth that they illustrate. We pray, God, that you would guide us and protect us, that you would keep us safe and healthy. And Lord, that you would uh, enable us to encourage and minister to others around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. You can feel free to stick around for a few minutes. If you need prayer, click the live prayer button and somebody will be with you shortly. But we hope that it's been a blessing to you. Share these videos, share the links, share the messages. Uh, We believe that they will encourage others as well. So God bless you. Have a wonderful week and we will see you online on Mother's Day next Sunday. God bless you, Friendship Church.